0: Hi there, welcome to Finding Space with Alex Tyson. The show that celebrates the everyday legends who put in the hard work to become who they want to be and live the life they want to live. For people who understand that when we practice compassion and find wisdom within ourselves, we find success and happiness. Join me in hearing amazing stories from everyday individuals. Who have found incredible personal and professional growth through varied and at times wild methods of self-improvement and self-responsibility and through their unique perspectives and work have gone on to better the lives of those around them. From nurturing health to growing your wealth or enjoying the present to crafting your future, no aspect of life is off topic. And hey guys, just a quick note that we recorded this podcast before we rebranded our company from iHealth Saunas to Found Space. So, if you hear any references of health saunas, that's why. Get guys, and welcome to the Sweated Out Show. Have you got your notepad ready today? Because you're going to need it. Today's episode goes deep on understanding female hormones. I interview Peter Mejia for the second time, and this time he unpacks what feels to me like close to everything we need to know on how the female cycle works and the body inputs we can adjust to make the fluctuations in hormones easy. Peter Mejia is a certified acupuncturist based in the Gold Coast, Australia, who specializes in female hormones and treating conditions such as PCOS and endometriosis by addressing lifestyle factors. Today, we talk in depth on the four phases of the female cycle, what the change in hormones means to mood and symptoms and seeing that hormones aren't the problem, building awareness around caffeine consumption, Adenosine and its effect on tiredness. We dive deep on endometriosis, how our daily choices lead to issues down the track and the importance of taking responsibility for your health. If you're someone who has any sort of symptoms related to your period, listen up. And if you're someone who is in some form of relationship with someone who has symptoms related to their period, listen up. Also guys, I got to address the elephant in the room. There's no getting around it. This interview is two blokes talking about periods of which we have never experienced before personally (laughs) if this is you and you're seeing it through this lens i implore you to look beyond that and take in the absolute wealth of knowledge peter shares on the topic here i promise you will not be disappointed this episode of finding space with alex tyson is brought to you by found space make your home a place of wellness to live a long and healthy life visit foundspace.com.au for more information and so I give you Peter Mejia. Peter, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure
1: to have you here, mate. Thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure to have a chat with you.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's really good. And um, I like what you were just saying off air. Maybe we'll uh, we'll share some knowledge bombs <laughs> with people. and um, But it's funny you say that actually, because what we're talking about today is something that is kind of mysterious i think for a lot of people yeah certainly for a lot of women here talk about endometriosis or even just hormones in general i think there's a lot of misconceptions out there or lack of understanding as to the the influence that hormones play on the body and what they actually are and so i'm excited to get into that with you
1: yeah and i can't wait to talk about it because it is a um you know there's a lot Things that I have a, a chat with um, many of my clients, which are predominantly female, I'd say, you know, there's only literally a handful of men um, in my current client list and the rest of the women. And they're all, they're, they've all come to me because they haven't really found the answers to um, their hormones or, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions. So, you know, period pain, PMS, you know, is it normal? Um, what's, what's an acceptable level of pain? And, um, you know, If it's affecting their quality of life as it is when they come in to see me, um, what can we teach them? Because as you know, from our previous podcast before, before I am a, um, you know, along with being a practitioner, I should say I'm an educator. That's, that's my thing with people. If you're not learning why you're in your current situation and how to keep yourself out of that situation, then I'm not doing my job. That's just my personal opinion. So when it comes to women and their hormones, um, if you're doing things on a day-to-day basis, if you're eating things on a day-to-day basis, um, or you have a perceived thought of what health foods are, and they are different from person to person. So a classic example would be an excess consumption of histamines and a heavy blood flow or exacerbation of endometriosis symptoms for one and re-educating them on what, what sort of foods they can tolerate, even if they are healthy and what foods they should probably be reducing or omitting um, for a time period in order to achieve their goals.
0: Yeah, beautiful, man. This is going to be good. Let's get right into it then, maybe start from a bit of an overview. I mean, women have different phases during their cycle. What are those phases typically? How can someone, uh, I guess, be aware of them? And what are our hormones actually doing during those phases? So
1: there's, it's it's actually quite complicated, but to simplify it so that people can understand, it's essentially broken down into four phases: the menstrual, the follicular phase, the ovulatory phase, and the luteal phase. And another way of looking at it that's a lot easier for people to understand is your winter phase is your menstrual phase, your follicular phase, which is um, you know coming after the bleed up to ovulation, is known as your spring, and. Uh, ovulation is known as summer. <laughs> Wait, did I get those right? So, is it winter, spring, summer? Yeah. A winter, autumn. And then we go into autumn. Oh, sorry, spring. Yeah. Yeah, we go into autumn. So, I do get them confused, but um, that's why I had to recite them again. And so, I think if um, women understand their phases of their cycle in that form, um, it gives them a, a rough grasp on what they should be doing. So, a classic case would be winter winter is, you know, traditionally cold in most countries, except for, you know, up here in the Gold Coast, it's not as cold, although Gold Coasters think it's cold. Um, so I'm traditionally from Victoria, so I don't really feel it as much. But the point being, is, a time for hibernation. It's a time for respecting your body and slowing things down. And so, in you know, traditionally in a lot of cultures, you know, the time of bleeding was a time of regeneration and rest. But, you know, shoot into the 21st century, uh, where sort of, you know, females are keeping up with men, which there's a, there's a great aspect to that, but there's also a physiological consequence, you know, training at a high intensity, um, you know, doing 12-hour shifts, or while you're menstruating, a time of vulnerability and weakness, a time of hibernation and self-care, there's a bit of a mismatch there. And then, so from there, you know, we go into the spring and the spring is all about creativity. It's where estrogen predominates as a hormone. So a lot of people may have read about, say, something called estrogen dominance. And I think that a lot of people get trapped in these terminologies, but the follicular phase is dominated by estrogen and teaching women how to wield that power is super important. So estrogen helps women become creative. It helps them get things done. It also allows them to eat more carbohydrates because they will be a little bit more sensitive to insulin, a hormone Um, that allows the body to shuttle carbohydrates and glucose into cells for usage. And then we have the ovulatory phase, um, which, you know, the magic happens in a lot of females and part of it, yes, is for, you know, procreation and and reproduction. But the other part as well is that if you have a really good spring and then you have a really good summer, as far as you have a really good ovulation then your autumn is going to be relatively cruisy because you're going to be um, creating a lot of a hormone called progesterone and progesterone is about relaxation. It helps women um, soothe PMS. So optimizing progesterone is one of the most important things for females to do. If you've got irritability, if you've got PMS, if you've got um, breast pain, if you've got um, PMDD, which is a more severe version of PMS and then whether there is conception or not, then obviously a female will either be pregnant or they will head back into their winter phase. And understanding the different phases and what they mean and how to approach them can really help women maximize the different aspects of their cycle. And it's not discussed. I think that you know if they taught the seasons, so even if we didn't talk about the follicular and the luteal, but we just broke it up into seasons. And we started teaching this in like year seven, where most females will start to get their period. So they develop this creative understanding towards their body or body literacy. We would have 17, 18 year olds probably thriving throughout their cycles completely differently instead of being, you know, completely, I don't want to say clueless, but just have a complete misunderstanding or, or just to think that. Period should be painful. Irritability is absolutely normal. PMS is absolutely normal. And all these things are pathology. They're a state of disease. And I am all about optimizing women and teaching them about their cycles. So I think it—you know this stuff beyond what I'm discussing should really be taught at a grassroots level. And I think that it should be placed around year seven, year eight, if not grade six, even.
0: Yeah, it's all about education. Everything to do with health is education, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Learning about this stuff as early as possible, um, so then it becomes part of the conversation early on. Uh, you know, I had Cam Fraser on the other day, and we we're talking about men's sexuality. Like, where are those conversations? <laughs> they just they just don't exist. Yeah, absolutely. Um, similar for women in this sense. Okay, so what are some other hormones at play during during the seasons? Um, for for women and, and you talked a little earlier about foods that we can eat. So w- what are the sort of foods and things that we can be doing during these seasons to support a well-balanced cycle as opposed to estrogen going through the roof and then plummeting and it being out of whack? So
1: – We'll start with the um, the winter phase, and so my preference, because you're in hibernation, very much like when we are in the winter in in most sort of states, I prefer, you know, easy to digest foods. So at that time, you're feeling very very vulnerable, so a lot of people tend to go for comfort foods. So my preference is like slow cooked foods. So if you're a, a meat eater, then going for slow cooked meats, especially like red meat, replenishing your iron stores. If you're vegetarian, vegan, then aiming for you know like stir fries, um, you know really focusing on green leafy vegetables. Again, going for your iron stores again, so making sure that things are nice and easy to digest as your body goes through a cleanse. You know, it's it's a the first three days of your period is a reset point for your body. So testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, FSH, LH, which is why one of the reasons in functional medicine we often do what's called a day three. Um, test. So you know a lot of females that see me who opt to do the testing will go through a day three test and then on average, a day twenty one progesterone test, but we won't get into that. But the reason for the day three is because we get to get a snapshot into their baseline. And if we have fsh l h, um estrogen and a couple of other hormones, um, being too elevated when they're supposed to be at baseline, that's going to tell us if someone has a true estrogen dominance or estrogen excess or unopposed estrogen. And then obviously we're going to do testing. So you know, we need to really respect that ability to reset. And it's a mechanism that men don't have, that women have. So as soon as that lining sheds, it triggers a cascade of different uh, functions. And one of them primarily is to bring hormones at baseline and then we go into the follicular phase, which is the spring phase. And then you're going to start getting a increase in hormones, particularly estrogen. So when it comes to the follicular phase, which is the two weeks before ovulation in most females, um, it's not always the case. But if we're talking just simply in this, in the form of follicular and spring phase, then you can eat more carbohydrates. You can. Um, you can run longer distances, you can be more creative. So to be able to fuel that, you're going to want to have more beans and lentils if your gut can tolerate it. You're going to want to have more starchy vegetables because you're going to be able to tolerate it without swelling. And then from there, we go into the ovulatory phase where females are most prone. It's the best time you're going to be able to execute for most women you know if you're training a personal best, you're going to be able to run your fastest because we're going to get a peak in testosterone. Um, We're going to get a peak in FSH and LH. Um, What are FSH and LH? So FSH is follicle stimulating hormone. So that stimulates the egg to start growing in the follicular phase. That's why it's called follicular phase. And so as the egg grows, it secretes estrogen. And as estrogen is secreted because the egg is growing, um, FSH tends to go down until we get about day 14 for argument's sake. And then you're going to get the LH surge, which helps the egg ovulate and rupture in preparation for conception. So there's a whole cascade of of different complex things and there's so many things that can go wrong. As an example, if people introduce estrogen clearing herbs or there is studies to show that um, an excessive amount of fiber consumption can delay ovulation or stop ovulation. And this would be because it's binding to estrogen when your body goes through what's known as a feedback loop as estrogen increases FSH decreases but if you're clearing out estrogen too far the FSH won't decline as it's supposed to and then you're going to get a mismatch you're going to get a longer follicular phase um you know you can just miss ovulation altogether and you know this isn't really ideal particularly for those women who are trying to conceive they can really play around with their cycles and that that's just as simple as having too much fiber mm. So people that, you know, as an example, to to sort of clarify, people that are having, you know, mounds of chia seed, chia seed pudding, flaxseed, hemp seeds, and things like that, all that stuff is phenomenal. But my preference is to introduce that stuff post ovulation at a time that you need to facilitate detoxification um, in the luteal phase. You want to be able to bind to any excess of estrogen so that you can avoid PMS, as an example, or try and avoid PMS.
0: Okay, so after... After ovulation, then we want to reduce
1: estrogen in the body. You want to stabilize it, okay? And you want to nourish progesterone. So, like things like vitamin E um, are essential. Keeping your stress levels nice and you know well as stable as possible. Um, and you do that, you know. There's, my, so, you know, some of my favorites that I often um, suggest on Instagram are things like lemon balm tea. Uh, Tulsi tea, there are herbs like ashwagandha that a lot of people use, really trying to reduce their cortisol levels so that you're teaching the body that it's the luteal phase. The luteal phase and its dominance in progesterone is all about stabilizing the lining of the uterus and allowing more blood vessels to go in there because should there be conception or the seed attaching into the uterine wall, you're going to want to make sure that there's enough blood vessels and nutrients coming there. Mm -hmm. So it's a time to slow down. So after you've done your PB at the gym during your ovulatory phase, where you've done like a a nice big 200 kilo deadlift and you're really happy, it's time to switch into more um, easy to digest food. So you might actually want to be very, I think women should be very mindful of the fact that one of the roles of progesterone is to slow down the transition of food through the stomach. And so the consequence of this for a lot of females is bloating during the luteal phase. So again, you might want to go from a raw food-based you know, based diet with carbohydrates in the follicular phase to in the luteal phase, like switching that up and being mindful again um, to really find that sweet spot of um, fiber and, you know, complex carbohydrates, which can be a little bit harder to break down because they'll be more prone to fermentation because you've got a slower transit time. Everything slows down so that your body can extract more nutrients for the potential growth of a baby.
0: So we want things that ferment slower. So you're saying with the complex carbs.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So again, not going too crazy on the fiber And so I'll give you an example. So what I get a lot of my women to do instead is to make things easier to digest is that if you're going to have flax seed, um, I'm going to get them to do ground flax seeds. If you're going to have chia seeds, I'll get them to do ground chia seeds. Because when you're grinding these seeds, you're unlocking a lot of the essential fatty acids. You're still getting the fiber. And again, looking at that slower transit time, you're less likely to get bloated and maximize all the benefits coming from flax, chia, or hemp. Mm. You get all the nutrient density. You get The fiber content that's going to support any excessive estrogen and detoxification so you get nice stools because that's one of the most important things. If you're not pooing, we're going to have a problem. Yeah. So it's critical that those, those bowel motions move. It's one of the first questions that I ask people, we always have that poo conversation and people get, you know, cause again, it's one of those topics that are really taboo. But for me, if you're going only once a week and we're trying to fix your hormones, instead of looking at your phase one detoxification, your phase two detoxification, all that sort of fancy stuff. My first question is, are you going to the bathroom? And they'll be like, yeah, of course I'm paying. No, are you you know, having a bowel motion? Are you moving a stool? And what do they look like? Some people never even pay attention to their stools, which is actually quite incredible. I mean, they would do their business and then flush and they never see it. But again, it's these are all the things that I teach women. I'm like, you really have to pay attention to it. Number one... Again, you know, constipation is such a its such a big problem in society, particularly with men. I'm, I'm sure men get it as well, but um, it's one of those things that I have to reteach people. And most commonly, the most common answer that I get from females is that you know, they'll go every three or four days, which I find really uncomfortable just hearing that. And they'll be like, yeah, but I've always been that way. Yeah. Just like period pain. I've always been that way. You know, And I'm sure people say that about headaches. Like, yeah, I get headaches all the time. I've always been that way. And I'm like, yeah, but these are symptoms. And then people are like, yeah, but I don't have... You know, people. When it comes to the constipation, people will say, "Yeah, but I don't get any pain." Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't get any anal pain. Or, you know, I'm not really like forcing it out and all this sort of stuff like that. But I'm like, "Yeah, but you're in my room with breast pain. Mm. You just haven't linked them. You're in my room with PMS, or you're in my room with severe acne. Of course, you're going to get acne. You're not, you're not clearing out the most basic, not basic, but you know, I'm a, a fundamental right of humans is just to take a poo in the morning." It's just that simple. And one of the things that, you know, I'll tell people is that there's there's a, a natural reflex that happens when we get up in the morning, you know, we get a spike of cortisol and adrenaline that wakes us up, known as the cortisol awakening response. When sunlight hits your eyes, it's a stimulus. It starts to stimulate dopamine. So we get, you know, stuff done. And part of that really cool process is that it makes you want to have a bowel motion, because when you stimulate things, just like with coffee, which is my other question to people, when you go poo, is it stimulated by a substance? Do you have coffee? Or better yet, I want you to skip a few days of coffee, as hard as it's going to be, and tell me if you still poo. Mm. Because if you're not, you've become reliant on the coffee. And there's nothing wrong with coffee because I drink it and I love it. If anything, I'm a coffee snob because you know I'm from Melbourne. <laughs> but that's one of those fundamental things. And I think people you know, when they reach out to me, everyone's like, yeah, I want to do testing. I want to do this. I'm like, yeah, let's just talk about your balance first. And that's, that's it. Let's talk about your caffeine intake. Let's talk about your sensitivity. And I'm running through all this stuff, um, you know, in my consults because it's all, it, they will impact. So for example, like I just um, learned from a, a colleague recently that in the luteal phase, you know, so my colleague, Olivia, um, who has, you know, she's an incredibly knowledgeable, like, women's health coach in the PT realm and women's health in general. And so she had a really good post saying that a lot of women will have sensitivity to caffeine in their luteal phase because their luteal phase causes them to detox caffeine faster, making it course through their system for longer periods. So the consequence is anxiety and irritability. So I didn't even know that. I, I love coming across information that I didn't know because now, Women will come in and I'm going to tailor that. Uh, I'm going to put that piece of information into my consults to educate women. Are you getting anxious one week out from your period? Is it just purely hormonal as far as are we looking about? You know, Because if we have too much estrogen coursing through your system, one of the mechanisms is elevated histamine. So estrogen and histamine go hand in hand. So the more estrogen you have, the more histamine you're stimulating, the higher the histamine, The more the estrogen. So, you get this vicious cycle. The consequence of that is that too much histamine in your system is going to lead to a heavier flow because a female's uterus has an abundance of mast cells that respond to this and causes a blood thinning effect. So, they're going to go through a lot more tampons and pads. So, again, we have to help them clear their histamine and lower their estrogen levels. Um, you know, the other thing that happens as well, is, like I said, the caffeine aspect of things, if it's not coming from excessive histamine, do we have to revisit um, their caffeine? And a lot of the time people fall under the radar is when they're drinking a lot of like English breakfast. Mm. They might not be drinking like, you know, your black shots a bit, you know, there's so many clients that have the English breakfast times five a day with a dash of milk, you know? And you're like, wow, like, it's no wonder you've got shit sleep, you know? And if you're if you are clearing caffeine at a slower rate in your luteal phase if you're a female that's prone to that guess what you're going to get horrible sleep during your luteal phase one week out from your period you're going to say yeah i become a bit of an insomniac it's harder for me to switch off so a lot of the times when i'm talking to people about the different phases in their of their cycle and how to maximize it instead of throwing supplements at people instead of relying purely on because i'm a trained acupuncturist um, yes, I can settle the nervous system with acupuncture. Yes, I can help your detoxification work a lot better as far as getting your bowel motions happening because um, it's not so uncommon that people see me and then their bowel motions start regulating. And that's a fantastic thing. But again, back to that thing that I love doing, which is about education. If I'm not talking to you about your English breakfast and you're still getting anxiety, we have a problem. Yeah, we've got to really address the elephant in the room. Are you pooping? Are you having too much um, teas that are caffeinated? It'd be black tea. You know, it could be green tea. Like I said, you know, um, you know, green tea is really healthy. It's rich in antioxidants. It does so many different cool things. But green tea inhibits an enzyme called DAO, and DAO allows us to clear histamine. So if I'm not asking these questions, and the and the person's like, oh, I don't drink coffee. You know, I, I live a really healthy lifestyle. I really don't know why I'm chronically anxious and not sleeping. And it turns out that, you know, they're having you know, three or four cups of green tea a day for weight loss or antioxidant, or that's just you know they're used to drink a lot of um, black coffee and now they've switched to green tea, which in their mind is like, yeah, that's a healthier option. Of course it is, absolutely it is. But look at your presentation, and then you you reduce or you cut out the green tea because it's a, generally a lot easier to cut out without all the headaches that accompany from cutting out black coffee. And lo and behold, their symptoms start getting better
0: man and the, the flow-on effects of all these things right like you said we're having caffeine in the luteal phase so there's anxiety there's bad sleep so then it gets to the point where we're bleeding and it's like we're we're just frustrated with everyone because we haven't been getting enough sleep so then it just continues on this cycle oh, you know I've got my period I'm a bit grumpy and what it, it's like it's actually got nothing to do with with bleeding, <laughs> it's, oh, absolutely, it's, and people also blame it on the hormones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's all oh, my hormones are out of whack or whatever. And it's like, well, actually, it's all of these factors within your lifestyle that are leading you to that point. It's a, it's not the actual process of just of bleeding in that moment or or your hormones. It's it's everything else that we're plugging into our body uh, that's getting us to being that point of irritable or grumpy or whatever it is, you know.
1: Yeah, I had a case, um, you know, recently where I had to like rehash this to someone. And, and, you know, when we dissected it together in the room, cause this is what I help, you know, women do is like, all right, cool. We're going dis- to we're going to dissect your food. We're going to dissect your lifestyle. We're even going to dissect your, your mindset and, and, and reframe how you think about hormones where, you know, you're, you're pointing the finger at your hormones being out of whack. But is that just the symptom of something else you're doing? So I had a, a case study where. Um, a client's like, I'm, I'm getting really bad sleep. I'm getting, you know, breakouts. I'm getting constipated. I'm getting bloated. I'm like, cool. So tell me how you wake up. She's like, all right, cool. So I get people to run me through their day. And she's like, you yeah, know, I wake up. What time do you wake up? Because it's all about circadian rhythms as well. If you're waking up at 6am and then 8am and then 9am, we're going to have a problem. And she was waking up and within, you know, probably the first 10 to 20 minutes, like many people, um, she was having a sort of black coffee. <laughs> and from there, you know, um, coffee obviously gets broken down. And then I'm like, sorry, cool. So when's your next coffee? She's like probably between, you know, 11 and 12 because I get really tired. I was like, okay, cool. And then she's like, yeah. And then I'm having another cheeky one around two, three. And I'm like, okay. So, and, and she's like, I'm not going to lie. They can be doubles. <laughs> so I'm like, you can have <laughs> you know, three doubles. And, and my god, the next question was like, how much water are you having? Water? I don't know. 500 mils? I'm like, yo. So, with, you know, let's go back to the bowels. Yes, you know, coffee is a stimulant, but it's also very dehydrating. And you can become desensitized to the stimulus of caffeine. So, in the beginning phases, when you have caffeine, it stimulates and you have a bowel motion until you get to the point where you start becoming resistant to its stimulus. The cortisol comes out, adrenaline comes out, but your cells and your brain are no longer responsive. So, what happens? We need more of it. We go from a single to a double. And then the 11 and 12, so one of the mechanisms that, um, you know, happens with caffeine. So when people are on caffeine, I say, look, we're going we're gonna to try to get more longevity out of your caffeine instead of just being mean and saying, you know, cut it out. And so when you wet, one of the molecules that makes us sleepy is something known as adenosine and adenosine helps make, make us sleepy. And in the morning for a lot of people, when they're getting that haze, they're getting that grogginess, um, your adenosine hasn't been cleared properly. So you need to actually continue to, you know, get moving in the day, get sunlight, um, you know, get some ease, you know, go into a fasted state or whatever you need to, to give your body a break and let your body to continue to get rid of the adenosine. Once it's cleared about an hour to two hours after waking up, you can have caffeine and you're less likely to have the craving around one, two, because you've cleared your adenosine. But if you wake up and the first, one of the first rituals or habits that you do is have like a really strong coffee, then you don't clear out that adenosine. Eventually the adenosine of, let's just say Sunday will build up onto Monday. You know, you call yourself, you're having Monday itis as an example that many people say. And so you have that early caffeine and you've got the adenosine from Sunday building into the Monday. By the time you, you know, 11 or 12 o'clock Rolls around and the caffeine is detoxified, you're going to get this, all this adenosine, which is a, it's a, it's a, you know, very, um, it's a molecule that makes us tired. It's going to hit you in in like a ton of bricks. Yeah. So naturally, you're going to want a double shot and you feed that cycle and you end up with a third coffee or you end up with terrible sleep because then you have that late coffee between one and three or even 4 p.m. for some people and not everyone can clear out caffeine. And what happens the next? What happens at nighttime is that they're like, I just can't switch off. It's like, well, of course you can't. Look how much caffeine you've now, you know, got coursing through your system. And then on Tuesday you repeat that same cycle because on Tuesday now you're you're tired because you're not getting into your your deep and your REM sleep because you're overstimulated, and then you're not clearing adenosine properly. And you feed that cycle until one of two things happens: you become ill, you catch a cold or a flu. Because remember, when you a lot of the times when you catch a cold or the flu, that's your body trying to shut you down. It's that like, I've had enough. I now need to make you sick to shut you down. But as a society, we keep going. You know what I mean? We've we've got bills to pay. That's a whole different story.
0: Ah, oh, man! I mean, this is the conversation right here. Anyone listening? This. Gets me so excited because this is this is the crux of it, man. The flow on effects of all of these small choices that we make. And that was the perfect example there, talking about adenosine, which builds up as like this sleep pressure, right? And so then when it kicks back in after that second coffee, or when you need the second coffee because it kicks back in, it's worse, right? And then, like you said, you just touched on briefly, then when we have the caffeine in our system, we can't go into deep sleep in the evening and it's the deep sleep which helps remove the adenosine buildup that we've built up throughout the day and so then we get up the next morning we're groggy we need to have a coffee because we're still half asleep because we've got all this adenosine that we've built up over weeks because we've been having a coffee every day or two coffees every day you know we take it easy on the weekend because we just have one right and (laughs) it's just it gets me excited because it paints a really good picture as to Every single thing that we do in our health, uh, every single input that we put into the body and into the mind has an effect, whether that be something like coffee, like black coffee. And I know this because I used to be addicted and have experienced exactly what you're talking about, um, or whether it's the foods that we put in, it is all related uh, whether we get that sunshine in the morning or in the afternoons and we can talk about circadian rhythm a bit later, it's all connected and it all has an impact and it may have an impact in the immediate or it could be hours later or it could be days later, or it could be weeks later. And we need to assess the foods we put in, the how much water we're drinking. It, I mean, let's talk about stools for five minutes, Peter. I mean, like this is one of the most critical bits of data that we can get from our body, right? Yeah every time we go and have a bowel movement take a look at it like what does it look like what does it smell like i i actually caught myself the other day like n- almost kneeling into the bowl <laughs> cuz i was like i was like oh wow that's fascinating like yeah you know and and that might be a bit extreme for people but it it is a really important piece of data to to look at that and understand what what's happening you know is it has it exploded out or is it like this sludge has it fallen to the bottom as opposed to sitting on the top of the water what does it smell like does it look like anything that you've eaten all these things tell us little bits of information about what the body's doing absolutely so, so i'm i'm glad you brought that up because like you said it's just another taboo conversation like periods or male sexuality right no one's talking about their poos
1: Absolutely. And it's like, you know, I've said, like, I think, um, you know, I think doctors have their role and the the primary role of a lot of them is emergency medicine. Do you, Are you presenting with something that's life-threatening? And that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. Because if you have an infection, um, you know, I, I'll give a classic case like UTIs can escalate very quickly. So I see a lot of females, if they have chronic UTIs, they don't currently have one. And, um, you know, then we can treat it usually with herbs. We're looking at sort of... Um, Balancing out the bacteria of the vagina. So a lot of the UTIs, so 80, 90% of UTIs often come from the E. coli bacteria. And so we're going to try and reduce that. We're going to try and improve the pH of the vagina. There's so many things we can do. But sometimes I've had this in the past where, you know, females are like, yeah, it's it's really uncomfortable. They're in, they're in for an acute treatment. And I'm like, and it's already traveling to their back. They're getting back pain. You know that bacteria is traveling at a rapid pace. And so I'm like, look, in this case, we're going to try some herbal meds. We're going to try some treatments. Sometimes you get it, but I'm like, you know, I'll give them re- a realistic time frame. If you're not better in the next couple of days, you're going to have to see a doctor and you're going to have to stop the spread of the infections into the bladder and into the kidneys where it gets really bad. And um, we can try and obviously work on your um, your gut health afterwards. So there's a, there's a really good way of doing it where we have like an integrative approach. Like I'm not... A cowboy, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, you know, take this away right now because there's always going to be variables. And, uh, you know, my patient's safety is number one. So, you know, with doctors, it's about emergency medicine. What doctors don't practice is optimization medicine. Yeah. Such a word doesn't even exist. So of course they normalize, you know, period pain. Of course they normalize, you know, heavy flow. And if you don't come, you know, if they do the testing that's required, Um, So I'll give you an example, like, you know, uh, endometriosis, we know is such a vicious condition. We don't understand why it happens yet, but we do know that its prevalence is increasing. We know one in 10 females have endometriosis and it used to be anywhere from eight to 10 years, depending on when you read on average to get an endometriosis diagnosis. And it can only really be diagnosed through a laparoscopy, which is an invasive type of surgery. Anything else doesn't really cut the mustard as far as diagnostics, and so many females, because of the belief of society and period pain, and it's a normal thing, will go to a doctor and say, "I've got period pain." I've got period pain. They'll take you know all sorts of medication, and they just say, like, "Yeah, well, you've you've got period pain. You're a female. That's just just how it works." But again, if we go back into all right, what's your caffeine intake like? You know, how are you detoxifying? Are you having a bowel motion? Are you having things that are high in histamine? Are you inflamed? Do you have IBS associated symptoms because they go hand in hand with endometriosis? Do you have um, a permeable gut, otherwise known as leaky gut? There are so many facets to endometriosis that if we look at it only under the lens of a hormonal issue, we're missing the bigger picture. Mm.
0: So you're saying it's really the result of all these other areas coming together, like
1: you said. It's bacterial, it's inflammatory, it's um, immune dysregulation, it's, um, you know, your sleep can be, so um, there are studies to show that um, night shift workers, females are 50% more likely to be diagnosed with endometriosis because as we were discussing before, sleep is queen to healing, both REM, deep, and the other stages. You have to go through all the other stages to be able to heal fully, and you know, it quells the inflammatory response. Sleep is when we do all the cool things of healing. You go to the gym, you need to sleep to grow. You know, as a female to get really healthy hormones, um, you need to sleep to be able to heal. Even memory, the consolidation of short-term to long-term memory happens at nighttime. If your memory is fading, let's revisit your sleep. Yeah, So it's such a critical thing. So when I treat as an example, nurses or shift workers that have endometriosis and have an official diagnosis, and I know they're doing shift work, it is often a longer process, primarily because they're not sleeping. And their circadian rhythms are all over the place. The body doesn't even know where the hell you are in space and time. It doesn't have a sensitivity to uh, sunlight versus LED light. It's just all over the place. Your brain and your body, so your hypothalamus, your pituitary, and your adrenal thyroid, ovarian axis is completely obliterated. It's gone.
0: Anyone listening who is a night shift worker, I beg, please... (laughs) If there is any way to stop doing that work, please do it <laughs> because it's so detrimental to the health, unfortunately, to the health of the body.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's classed as a, as a carcinogen. But people, I mean, we need nurses to do, you know, the the um, night shift workers because obviously people get admitted to emergency medicine. So um, you know, so for me, it's like, all right, cool. How do we mitigate as much of the brunt of the work you're doing? Let's okay, let's revisit your stress factors. And this is one of the things when it comes to treating endometriosis is that we're looking at your gut health and the bacterial link. We're looking at something called LPS, which is a bacteria. I'm sorry, is a byproduct of um, you know endotoxins in the stomach, um, which can create a lot of immune dysregulation and an inflammatory process. Um, we, you know, we we talk about things like you know, unfortunately, there is a, a strong link um it's not a causal factor but there is a strong link between endometriosis and childhood trauma yeah so we're looking at that stress response what was happening in that moment in time that's fascinating oh absolutely and it's not for everyone so not you know i will always ask that question um to females because when a female's body is trying to establish a complete connection between the brain and the ovaries and the uterus it's a very sensitive time and part of that is um, you know, trying to establish a connection. And then, you know, anytime someone goes through an extreme amount of stress, that's it's going to change things. And unfortunately, when it comes to endometriosis or, you know, anyone who's got trauma, like PTS, you know, PTSD is a classic example. You know, anything that triggers that sympathetic state efficiently is going to have an effect on that individual. So if that poor female has gone through sexual abuse or any sort of abuse that is a contributing factor in the exacerbation of endometriosis, it has to be visited. And for me, I use that because I know how strong my tools are as an acupuncturist to, to settle the sympathetic nervous system, to help gut um, you know, function optimally, to help their bowels move. But at the same time, like I said, I'm a practitioner that likes to collaborate with other people. And I'll tell my client, like, have you looked into the tapping method? Have you looked into cognitive behavioral therapy? Um, have you looked into art therapy? It, it you've really got to gauge what works. Some people are very science-based, they want a psychologist. Um, I've met people who've gone through like you know endometriosis sufferers or, or other sort of trauma sufferers who have used um art therapy. And when they tell me their story, they're like, you know, I've, I tried a psychologist, I tried you know, psychiatrist, I tried the medication as well, none of it really worked. And then I found my form of expression through painting. I painted my pain. So I was like, "Wow, what does that look like?" And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> For a lot of red." <laughs> um, it was incredible to hear to hear these stories, and and it's something as a practitioner, I've always got my, um, you know, my eyes and ears. You know, I'm seeing them and I'm listening to them. I'm like, "Cool, I've never heard of that. I never thought of that." I should say, and there's no reason why other women can't express their pain and their trauma through painting or creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't always need to be psychoanalyzed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there is a place, I think there's a place for the Western aspect of psychiatry and psychology. Um, but I'm sure many of the people listening to that have tried that and it's just not working for them. And then there's the creative field. You know what I mean? Um, we're very lucky now that we're getting a rise in things like kinesiology, you know, sound healing. There are other methods for people to heal, just like children. Some children are creative, some children are more logical. Um, some are more visual, some are more auditory, some are more kinesthetic. And women, men as well, are no different. And as a practitioner, it's my job to try and pick that personality type out and say, this is how you're going to respond to my therapy. But I also think you will benefit from this.
0: Yeah. It's like left brain, right brain. Some people are like logical and some not. Oh, absolutely. That's fascinating. Painting pain. I just, I need to go and draw some pain, see what that looks like. <laughs> sounds like a really internal and quite personal process i would imagine
1: yeah i just i just i don't think i'll, I'll ever forget the um yeah the, the just like you i was just like wow like my mind and and I, you can totally see how it would work yeah and you know and hearing the experience and how it was cleansing you know for that individual i was just like that i just i don't have no words that's probably what the, the beauty of you know creative painting is you don't know, need words you just use your hands and and it was some sort of um you know, sense of relief to whatever that individual had gone through. So um, I think it's really important to pay attention to each individual. Um, so, you know, talking about endometriosis again and not saying, yeah, it's hormonal. So go use the Mirena, go use the pill, which are the typical um, methods of treatment. And when it comes to endometriosis, Western medicine doesn't really have that much. There is no cure for endometriosis. You can put it into a type of remission depending on, you know, which one of these exacerbating factors you decide to tackle for that individual. And, you know, that's the type of, you know, medicine that I practice is individualized medicine. You know, I said before, is it immune? Is it inflammatory? Is it sleep? Is it stress? And so I always talk to females about what's called a sustaining factor. You know what I mean? So if you're doing all this amazing work during the weekday, but you go get wasted on the weekend with your friends, and we know alcohol is a really big exacerbator of endometriosis because of its inflammatory response, the, the way that it um, puts a toll on your detox pathways. So your estrogen increases. Um, the way it, you know it just punishes your gut lining, so it you know so you become more prone to um, reacting to foods. The fact that it creates dysbiosis, you know, you can actually Google alcohol and dysbiosis, meaning that you get a excessive flourishing of negative bacteria. They all create endo flares. So we're doing amazing work from Monday to Friday, and come Friday night and Saturday, um, you know, there are some people that will still go out and get wasted it's just like, well, okay, cool. So let's take it back a bit. And so you know, my you the question I'll actually ask these particular clients because they tend to be in their early twenties is, and it's fine because it's not my place to judge you. And my question to them is, are you ready to heal wholeheartedly, spiritually, physically, emotionally? And if you're not, that's okay. You know what I mean? It's not my job. And I think that's the thing. Like, I, I And I, on the reverse side, I hear stories of females that don't want to take the pill. They don't want to go on the marina. And the doctor will shame them. They'll be like, well, if you don't go on the marina or take the pill, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? They will guilt them. But with me, it's the same thing. I will actually ask them, are you ready for this journey? Yeah, because that's exactly what it is. It's not an overnight endometriosis remission. Um, it's not always going to be a linear path to healing. There's going to be ebbs and flows like most complex conditions. And if you're ready, I'm here. And if you're not ready, that's also okay. I'll meet you on the other side when you are ready.
0: Yeah, Peter, I think that is the question (laughs) to ask anyone who wants to heal. Oh, absolutely. You'd be surprised because sometimes people say no. Right. And it's like, cool. I'll see you when you're ready.
1: You know? Exactly. And there's no harm.
0: Yeah. I, I think being really open with ourselves about that, like, am I actually ready for this to be out of my life? To, to, to have moved on from this um, and being okay if the answer that comes up is, no, I'm not actually ready. I really like that. Endometriosis then. So you mentioned dealing with some younger women. Uh, I had a question around that. Like, Can you actually have fully fledged endo at an early stage in life or is it typically in the 30s and 40s and 50s that it starts to become more, I guess, severe?
1: It's a good question actually. I think it you know it really is case by case so endometriosis um, you know the most common present I think there's a lot of misconceptions around endometriosis. So one of the misconceptions is that um so you get endometrio like cells that grow in other other places of your body, so you get these cells that are you know that look like the endometrium but isn't the endometrium. And that was one of the the one of the cool recent discoveries where it's not actually your endometrium spreading; it's endometrium-like cells spreading to colon, um, to stomach tissue. And the point I'm raising is that there are different levels. So when a female has a laparoscopy, you've got stage one, stage two, stage three, and stage four, and that often tells a female how much scarring and adhesions they have. Now, the reason that I mention this is that we don't know until you have a laparoscopy. There are some people that do an ultrasound and then the um, doctor will say, yeah, you really need to look, we've seen something. You need to do a laparoscopy. But the stages do not correlate to pain. So if you're a stage four, it does not mean that You're going to be in agony every period. You're going to have all the typical symptoms associated with endometriosis. And stage one doesn't, because it's a lesser um, spread of the lesions and adhesions, it doesn't mean that you're going to be less in pain. So Mm -hmm. until we really do the laparoscopy, we actually don't know the level. Now, one thing that does really piss me off is um, I think a lot of doctors look at the stages of endometriosis and the potential severity and use that as a, and I've seen this so many times clinically, they use that as a scare tactic for women mm-hmm. because one of the misconceptions are is if you get pregnant, you won't have endometriosis after, like you'll be fine. You know what I mean? And the other scare tactic is um, because you're young and you have stage four, you've got you know you've pretty much got adhesions and and all sort of jazz. Like you know, it's just spread all over you. So the term they'll use sometimes is that you look all cobbed, cobwebbed inside, and it does look like that. It can look like that. it would be like, yeah, you can't have kids. So you're in your twenties. Um, it's very unlikely that you're going to have kids without assistance. Um, and so if you choose to have kids in your thirties, the likelihood with 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 having kids without the help of IVF is is quite minimal. And I call bullshit. Because as a clinician, you actually see I've seen some of the most terrible endometriosis. And I've been lucky enough to be able to help these women get pregnant because they're ready for the method. And the method is the emotional side, the sleep side, the lifestyle side, you know, talking about their alcohol and caffeine consumption. We're going through a whole gamut of different things to get them to where they need to be. Now, of course, that doesn't that doesn't mean that every female that is with me gets pregnant. That's just ridiculous. I'm not Jesus and I don't pretend to be Jesus. Mm-hmm. But um, back to your question of does it get worse? It really depends on how they treat their body. So if they have inflammation from excessive wheat consumption, excessive, you know, inflammatory foods, if they have the high histamine, if they have that history of trauma and they're doing a nine to five job that they absolutely hate, chances are it's probably going to be worse because you're fueling the fire. That's what you're doing. So you and if you choose to bury your head in the sand until you're in your 30s, you are the sum product of everything you've done every single year before that. Yeah.
0: Spot on, brother.
1: So and that's what I because that's you know, people come into the clinic and you know the, the first question that people ask, why me? Let's have a look. Let's have a chat, let's go down the rabbit hole of your health. For me, it goes so deep as far as like, um, do you have any idea what your mom's preconception was? Was it easy, was it hard? How old was she? Okay. Um, did she drink or smoke? Depending on the person's age, because you know, back in the day they used to do that. Um and then we go into, you know, how was the pregnancy? Was there any trauma involved? Do you know what I mean? Because if, you know, a baby is going to feel the adrenaline and cortisol from a mom's trauma during birth, I mean, during gestation as in during pregnancy, and then we have birth trauma. Do you know what I mean? Like, were you cesarean? Were you natural? Going through the vaginal canal is going to make your um, gut bacteria flourish because that's your first inoculation. And then if your answer to that was, no, I was a cesarean, were you breastfed or do you have a history of antibiotics? which we also know has a strong association with endometriosis as well because of the shift in bacteria or the lack of beneficial bacteria. Yeah. So then, you know, that's just the primer. That's like, cool. This is the things that you can't control. But what you can control is, you know, what was your, what was the average diet like in your household? Because again, you know, even myself, like, you know, my parents did, every parent does their best with what they know. Most people don't maliciously go out there to give you shit food on purpose. You know what I mean? Like it's just, well, I mean, I'm sure some parents are, you know, blissfully ignorant, but most parents always do their best. So did you grow up on white bread as an example? Did you grow up on a lot of pasta? Did you have a lot of sugar? Um, You know, was mom and dad um, really exhausted on a Friday? So every Friday was pizza night. I mean, so you go into a state of insulin resistance, or even if you didn't put on the weight, you know, were you over-consuming refined sugars, which... You know, a lot of people then go into their, and this is, you know, this is, you know, how was your immune system growing up? Did you have glandular fever? Um, were you always sick? And when you ask these questions, a lot of the females that I work with are like, oh my God, you have described me to a T. So I'm like, you know, now they're in their late 20s, early 30s, and I will say to them, can you start to see the picture I'm painting? Yeah. Everybody has a threshold, every person's vessel. Yeah. Your body is a Lamborghini treated like a fucking Lamborghini. Yeah. Make sure you service that car, which no, nobody does with their body until they learn that it's, you know, sort of too late. Um, make sure you, you know, wash it frequently, hopefully um, take care of the interior and the exterior. And most of all, the most important aspect to the Lamborghini analogy is take care of the person who's driving the car because that's your mindset. That's how you drive your car. Yeah. You wouldn't be fucking shitting on a Lamborghini. And like I said, a lot of people are blissfully ignorant until they're ready to make that um, leap of faith and they're ready to work with you know practitioners to get down to their root cause. And so once I've painted that picture for a lot of females, they're like, wow, I didn't know it was that deep. I did like, as in my my health history goes that far and the impact. And so we go back to you are the sum. You right now, the person you are in front of me is the sum of everything that we've just discussed. This is a year by year where you're not shitting every day, you're having you know recreational drugs, you're having alcohol, so you're putting a great toll on your antioxidant potential, and this is the outcome. For some people, it's autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid. It could be psoriatic arthritis. Um, you know, for some people, it's chronic fatigue. It's fibromyalgia. And that's the thing. It's just that until you decide to to really wake up to your own accountability with your own health, because nobody's going to help you if you're not willing to help yourself. It's pretty simple. Go to whoever you want to. You can go get a million pins of, of acupuncture and take all these herbs and see the guru. But if the guru didn't tell you what your problem was, which was accountability, we have a problem.
0: I just wanted to marinate on that for a moment there. <laughs> <laughs> wise, wise words. We got to own our shit, man. <laughs> Quite literally, <laughs> we got to look at our at our shit, but our own mental stuff. Super, super powerful. I like the Lamborghini analogy. Um, for me, it'd be a Ferrari over a Lambo. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just I just we just need to replay that. I'm going to be listening back to that. It's just that's what it's all about. And what I love is. We are the sum of how we've spent every single day. It's the things that we do every single day um, for the previous however many years you've been on the planet up until this day, your physical and emotional and spiritual body is the expression of that. Absolutely. And so if you want something to change, you need to change what you've been doing every single day to help facilitate that because if you keep doing the same things, nothing's going to change.
1: Absolutely. And it's the, um, which is the other question I'll, I'll ask, you know, I'll ask a lot of my questions, uh, my clients, which it's really sounds like quite silly as a question. But when I explain it to them, I'm like, do you believe you can get better? Because you're so busy with the diagnosis. People become the diagnosis. They become their endo. But that's what I'm like, I'll say to them, like, Jenny, you are not endo. You are Jenny. If Jenny believes that she can heal, I'm here to facilitate that healing. Through nutrition, functional medicine, acupuncture, Chinese medicine, but you have to believe you can get better or you are your diagnosis because of what your doctor told you. And it's game over as far as the mindset, because what the mind believes is what what comes into existence. That's not an airy fairy thing. You know, like I like to teach people about the work of Joe Dispenza. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just breaking the habit of being yourself. And this is part of the complexity of any chronic pain disorder or any complex disorder. The person's brain has actually changed because they've been suffering for such a long time. Often people will go to other practitioners that are natural. Like I've been to a naturopath, I've done that and it's failed me. And I'm like, did they treat the person or did they treat the diagnosis? There's a big difference. Yeah. And people are like, what are you talking about? Well, did they hear your story, Jenny? Most recently, I had a client who, beautiful client, and, you know, there was the, uh, a lot of thyroid, adrenal sort of components to it. And, you know, she's seen a lot of integrated GPs and she's seen so many different people. And I just remember saying to tell me your story. I, I do not mean tell me about your disease, but tell me about what's hurting you. Tell me about what's making you tick and not tick. What keeps you motivated? What doesn't keep you motivated? Because if we can't figure that out, we're in trouble. You won't take the herbs that I give you. What is your purpose for getting better? What is the why behind feeling better? Because if you think that it's just, I want to feel good. Like I just want to have more energy. It's not compelling enough. But if you say, I want more energy to play with my child on the playground, we elicit emotion. It's completely different. And asking those really important questions with people will change their therapy. And people are like, I never thought of it that way because people were treating the disease not the person
0: which is just a symptom of of how we've been brought up as to think well i've got this problem i got arthritis so i need to treat the arthritis as opposed to i need to adjust the way i've been living absolutely which will change how my body expresses
1: the problems that it has yeah <laughs> absolutely and this is where you know we go back to that trauma therapy i'm not saying again i'm not saying that i'm i'm, I'm a psychologist or a psychotherapist or um you know any of these things but those really important deep questions can set people free and sometimes people just need to speak verbal diarrhea and as as practitioners we just need to sit there and and breathe with them you know what I mean because their breath changes as they start telling a stressful story and so as a practitioner if you control your breathing and you try and mimic their breathing you can transform their breathing in that moment in time subconsciously because they'll start mirroring you. And so you've changed their breathing. And we've discussed this before. Breath is a foundational aspect to humans. Are you getting enough carbon dioxide and oxygen exchange? You know what I mean? Are you breathing through your nose? Or are you a mouth breather? Because simple things like that are going to change the parasympathetic, the sympathetic. It's going to change the way you heal. It's going to way, change the way. And again, so when we're talking about... Um, you know treatments towards endometriosis and people are talking about stress and anxiety. I'm like, cool. Let's just practice some breathing. Well this is the this is the breath work that you can do like box breathing. Um there, you know, there are different types of you know count methods. And I'll tell you, you know, sometimes people are like oh you know Pete, I'm so bloody anxious, you know, like you know beyond the needles and the herbs and what what else can I do at home? Cool. What I want you to do, switch off your phone for like 15 minutes, put it on airplane mode and kick your feet up against the wall yeah that's simple so just on the ground in an l shape like you're stretching your hamstrings and do that for at least 10 to 15 minutes maybe put some you know delta waves um, or you know some binaural beats that helps the calming factor of the brain a little bit faster but the simple benefit is put your hand on your belly and breathe only through your nose slow things down for 10-15 minutes And when you do that, part of the mechanism is when your feet are up, the blood is going to pull into your heart and your heart is going to receive that message of the blood flowing easily to the heart and it's going to slow down naturally. It's a fast way of slowing down that heart rate. Simple. You don't need to take a pill. You just need a little bit of time. Yeah, we don't always have to pop a pill. And when you give people those techniques, again, it's like, cool, because if I help you do these little hacks you're going to feel more motivated because you're going to be less anxious and you're going to be more willing because you're going to be in that parasympathetic state. You're going to be more in that rest and digest phase. And so we can progress forward and I can help support you more. Simple hacks can go a long way. We don't always have to pop a pill. Little wins. Absolutely.
0: So if I'm suffering from endo symptoms or just generally my period is always an uncomfortable experience. <laughs>
1: I'm,
0: ta- yeah. I'm talking on behalf of the greatest, greater consciousness <laughs> yeah. here. I'm
1: just, I'm just picturing you with long hair, yep, sure.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, we've kind of touched on it already. Uh, you know, I, I, I can look at my sleep, um, minimize stress, take some deep breaths. What are, what are some other typical places? And, and is it as simple as there's some good, Kind of foods that I can move towards eating more of, or is that on a case by case basis for you based on what they're exhibiting?
1: I think it's um I think when it comes to window it is very much a case by case basis. But the first thing that I tell females is is number one, mindful eating. Yeah that's that above all like if you're if I'm giving you like um, the recipe for um, a really good smoothie, and you're scoffing it down because you're too busy. Then I've really lost mm. because you're not going to get all the nutrients from that. So mindful eating is is sitting down, it's breathing, um, you know, it's looking at your food. Um, sometimes people will take it to the level of giving thanks for their food, and then you know, chewing your food. Yeah, because when you chew your food, it's going to be broken down into the finer molecules that we need. It starts the digestive process with the enzymes in your saliva. It makes it easier for your stomach acid to then break down the proteins and it, you know, into smaller molecules. Then the small intestine we get further extraction with all sorts of different things. But if you skip all those steps, then we're going to be in trouble. So mindful eating is the first one and making things easy to digest. So for example, we go back to the flax seed and the chia seeds which are rich in nutrients. I'll get them to have ground, yeah? Make sure the seeds aren't shooting through into your stool all the time. Yeah, make sure you're extracting everything instead of finding food particles in your stool because we're not going to get the benefits or maximal benefits like we want. And the other thing as well is I'm a big, you know, fan of um you know, like your bone broths, um, you know, having filtered water, you know, the simple stuff, filtered water. And sometimes you've got to mineralize it with things like colloidal minerals, or you can put like a pinch of salt. That's going to help your adrenal function. It's going to help your energy function. Um, if you're using, you know, like your Celtic salts, you're going to get 60 plus minerals in there. This is going to stop you from peeing exponentially. But, you know, the, it's, the most, it's the most common complaint because if you're hydrated, that's going to help your detox pathways. It's going to help your stools. And from there, once they've got the foundational stuff, we help upgrade into a specific dietary plan for them. And a lot of the times, it's like, look, minimize your wheat, you know, because it is such a. I don't like to be too crazy with people in terms like, oh, cut out wheat, cut out dairy, whatever. It is a case by case. Um, a lot of females with endometriosis can tolerate um, dairy unless you're all out, you know, lactose intolerant. Um, however, if you have a complexity of endometriosis and polycystic ovarian syndrome. You may not want to have dairy, even if you're not lactose intolerant, because um, milk has such an insulogenic response, which is not a good thing for PCOS sufferers. So that's why I'm saying often endo rears its head with other diseases or, or common female problems. Um, and then from there, you know, it depends. You know, we've got vegans, we've got vegetarians, we've got, you know, all sorts of different things. So, you know, in today's world, um, it is getting a little bit harder to navigate because people do have custom diets um, and intolerances. So, um, yeah, the foundational stuff for me is make it easy to break down, be mindful of what you're eating, and make sure you're well hydrated.
0: Love that, and focus on your sleep, <laughs> and be aware
1: of the caffeine. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's absolutely all those things are definitely like foundational. And you know what? The simplest things work the best because it's sustainable. Whether you see me or not, you know, I know you're gonna be able to sustain this. And you don't be scratching your head saying, I'm gonna take this pill at this time, I'm gonna take this pill at this time. Like, hey, I'm just gonna hydrate. Just buy yourself a glass one-liter bottle and um, set a timer as an example and aim, I try aim for like, you know, between two or three liters. Mm.
0: It's the fundamentals, baby. Absolutely. Get the water in, eat the right foods, get some sunshine, move the body, get get some good sleep, minimize stress. <laughs>
1: You pretty much summed up what everyone should be doing <laughs> and make
0: sure you're doing things
1: that you enjoy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, like, I, I think that's a whole, like, separate, you know, sort of podcast. And it's something that I do talk to a lot of females about because, um, you know, even when it comes to marital stuff, a lot of females will come and they'll vent to me. I'm in a very privileged position for females to disclose so much information for me. And for me, it's like, cool, how do we navigate around that? It's not my place to tell you to leave your husband or to leave your partner but it has to be factored in to your healing journey. You know what I mean? I'll ask the person, how can I facilitate this? Would you like me to send you to a counselor? Would you like to do couples counseling? Because if you hate, you know, if you're constantly triggered by the person that you live with on a day-to-day basis, we're not talking about like the odd bickering. We're talking about, you know, it's a day-to-day anxiety fighting, um, you know, and it's just really not conducive to your healing journey, because if you're stressed out constantly, you're going to suppress your stomach acids. So even if I give you the method of like eating, good, you know, eating good food, the very specific supplementation, you can't even do the most basic thing, which is to break them down with your stomach acids, because you're chronically stressed. Because that is part of the mechanism. When you're stressed, your body doesn't give a shit about digesting things; it needs to survive. Yeah. This is why if you eat when you're angry, you're probably likely to get bloated. Yeah. Goes in there, stomach acid suppression, boom, or you lose your appetite. Yeah. People that have an an argument, unfortunately, at the dining table, what happens? You lose your appetite. People say all the time, oh, I lost my appetite. Yeah. And all that, it's all psychological and it has to be dealt with. And you have to bring that up with clients. The conversation
0: at the dinner table is, is so important, right? Let's not talk about COVID at the dinner table, please. <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't mind, You know, let's just, hey, let's get out of it. Let's shift into some gratitude, you know, th- share something we're grateful for over the dinner table. Go around the dinner table. Look at our food and just look at it for a minute. Think about it. Wow. Look at this potato. Isn't that amazing? How did that even grow out of the earth? Look at this, you know, I'm eating a lot of fruit at the moment. Look at this rock melon. How did this get created off the vine and it's just this beautiful meal and orange and hydrate like let's connect in with the food um so it allows our body to get out of that stressful state um, like you said so we can digest and assimilate our food well (sighs) man we've covered some good stuff i love talking fundamentals man this is it's nice so what else what are there any other important pieces to the puzzle when we talk about endo Peter, that you you come across or that you feel need to be shared or discussed.
1: Yeah, I think the the most important thing is like don't pigeonhole yourself into the concept that it's all hormonal. Like I said before, you know, um, everyone is different, and not everyone. Even though um, I think the study with regards to the trauma, you know, I don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure it was a seventy to eighty percent of females with endometriosis had some history of trauma. There are definitely females that um, don't have trauma. There are females that don't drink. There are females that don't have coffee and, you know, they have really severe debilitating um, endometriosis. And so, you know, I think my thing is to be wary of the things that you Google and don't self-prescribe. So a classic case would be, oh, you know, endometriosis is a estrogen dominant um you know uh disease and it's like oh you know, kind of and that's you know when we look at Western medicine looking at you know using the pill of the marina it's the suppressive effect it's based on um, the fact that using these hormones um supposedly stop the growth or the progression of endometriosis um you know progressing so fast and you know obviously you know as a clinician I I see this to be completely untrue. I see females actually get worse. I've seen females get worse with the laparoscopy and it is case by case. And so I guess my tip is be careful what you're Googling and be careful not to self-prescribe. And this includes um, natural medicine, you know, because it's so easy to access so many supplements that you would see. You know, you just, you go to one website, endometriosis, it'll be like, yeah, take dim, um, you know, take, you know, increase your broccoli for estrogen detoxification, um, maybe, you know, add some antimicrobials in there for the LPS and the bacteria known as like berberine or organo oil. You can end up in a very hot mess. Yeah. You can, you can cause harm with natural medicine. And I've seen it happen before. And the other thing is, um, you know, if you feel like you're not being heard, um, find another doctor. You know, that means uh, a traditional general practitioner sometimes that can mean a naturopath or even an acupuncturist. If you feel like you're not being heard and you're being ignored or you're just doing a protocol and you don't feel like an an individual in that room, find another doctor. Yeah. There's no harm in finding someone else happens. You know, like I said, you know, I personally help a lot of people, but I'm sure there's people that I, you know, you know, had to find someone else with me and that's absolutely fine. We're never going to have, and that's what makes us hungry as practitioners. Well, me anyway. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm forever the student. And it's just like, cool, if I couldn't help you, I'm going to try and find out why. Was it a personality thing? Um, was it a missing piece of um, you know knowledge that I didn't have? And then I'll be honest with that person. That's why I said that's why I like collaborating with other practitioners. So don't fall into the trap of feeling uncomfortable, not getting better, all that sort of jazz like that. You have every right to look for another person. Mm.
0: I think that's a really beautiful message and tapping into that intuition that uh, we all have and, and oftentimes women are better at tapping into that than us blokes and, and knowing that our body, like, like you said, you, you call bullshit on people saying you can't get pregnant after having endometriosis um, quite bad. Like the body can heal. The body knows how to heal. It can heal these things um, and if you're not being heard or not feeling that you've been listened to or feeling like
1: what you've been told is incorrect, like move
0: on, find someone else.
1: Absolutely. It goes in levels. You know, you have to fulfill the, the psychology, feel safe with the person you're with. Once you feel, you know, safe, you have to be able to process your food. So we go down into the gut. And once you're processing your food and unlocking um, all the good nutrients and Um, getting rid of any sort of bad bugs, then, you know, once we get those nutrients, all the good stuff goes to the lower level. So it's kind of like the chakra systems. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't have one out of whack. You know what I mean? You've really got to try your best and that's that self work. And yeah. So I think for me, as I said, you know, don't, you know, seek those different opinions. Like I can't express that enough. Like the things that I've seen over my nine year career, cannot be as much as i've tried i've seen some of the most insane uh fertility stories um as far as being you know told you have you know no one ovary you know your other ovary is um lazy fallopian tubes are all like scarred up your uterus is scarred up you have this and then um and then you know these people get pregnant it does take a little bit of extra time. You know what I mean? So, time is an essential thing. Patience is a virtue. Um, but uh, yeah, be very careful. You know, it's, it's kind of like psychics be careful of what you hear. Once you hear it, it's very hard to unhear it. Yeah. So, that's my warning when people see practitioners or doctors that um, say, yeah, it's game over for your fertility, it's game over for your endometriosis. You're going to need a hysterectomy. Hysterectomy still doesn't cure it. It's a very complex pattern. And that's why I say to people, if you have, and this, you know what, this actually goes for any gynecological, um, you know, complexity and, you know, so I, like I said, so my role as a women's health, um, practitioner, which I absolutely love doing, cause it's all I do is submerge myself into, um, any book or research to get best outcomes or to know when to refer, which is also fine, um, is. For any female, not just endometriosis, PCOS, um, complex thyroid disorders, uh, fibroids, um, PMDD, you know, unexplained heavy flow um, is another one that I see a lot of, you know, just um, females, unfortunately, they can't go out when they've got their period. They're getting eight-day bleeds. They're bleeding through their pads, their super tampons. They're bleeding on their bed. They're bleeding onto... Um, and, you know, they've tried all these other methods. And It's just like, again, don't become your diagnosis and don't accept... Just one opinion. Seek as many opinions until you feel like you're number one. You're safe and you're comfortable with the person you're working with, and you feel like they're coming from an authentic place of helping you. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It goes for any gynecological reason. If you feel like you're not being heard, if you're not you're not getting the appropriate testing, you know, it's the beauty of Instagram now is that we can find people that have really good content that you can tell is authentic. You know, you can tell it's probably written by them, or you can tell they have a passion for their niche. I'll never forget when I made the leap of faith. I'm like, well, when I when I categorize myself as a women's health um, practitioner, I'm chopping out 50% of the population. And it was scary because you're like, well, that's 50%. You know? And I'm like, but at the end of the day, the world will always reward those who chase their dreams and their passion. And strangely enough, mine was in the women's health sphere. And this is why I hear so many cool stories. And I've seen so many supposed miracles. That can't be explained by Western medicine, but people now have babies. People are in an endometriosis type remission. The impossible is always possible if you believe you can heal. If you believe you can heal and if you want to heal.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Mm. Peter, this has been so good. Uh, Your passion is just glowing and and resonating. Um, I love it. I really love it. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be able to connect with people like yourself who are so just into it and and passionate. <laughs> you know, we, we talk we talk about um, doing things that we enjoy. Tyler Tolman says passion is the word pass ion, like we pass electricity when we're in our passion. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And even though we're, uh, we're going through a, a Zoom right now, uh, I can feel it and I'm sure everyone else listening can feel it Um, your passion for this topic is amazing and your depth of knowledge is incredible so it's been so great to have uh, a bit over an hour of your time so thank you so so much you're welcome thank you for having me on Mm, it's been awesome so if people want to find out more about you if people want to work with you or ask you some questions or just reach out how can they do that
1: uh, the easiest way, as I um, suggested before, is probably Instagram. You'll find a lot of my content. So I, I do post a lot of my free content to help people, to you know, give um, women ideas about endometriosis or, you know, complex um, gynecological issues. And then from there, most females can then reach out to me um, either through Instagram or through my website, which is hmhb.com.au. And you know, I look forward to to meeting you know, these women that need help or feel like they're not getting answers. And, um, you know, I guess my promise to people listening is that I'm always going to come at them in the most authentic way. If I'm the one to help you, I'm going to tell you. And if I'm not going to be the one to help you, I'm going to tell you.
0: <laughs> I love that. I, I bloody love that. It's so important in today's world. Um, you're sharing an amazing message um, and Oh, I'm just grateful for this conversation, mate. Thank you so much. I don't have endometriosis. However, I've learned a lot. <laughs> and um, yeah. I'm sure that there's um, plenty of women out there who who have learned something as well. And men too, right? And it's important that us men support our women with what they're going through. Oh, absolutely. Um, so thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to having you on again soon. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thanks, man. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes.